I'm mm-hmm. rambling all around Arizona and I'm seeing things, I'm hiking, I'm eating in little diners and I thought, this is what I want to write about. This is the stuff that's important to me. That's the voice of Roger Naylor, today's guest on Here With Her. When I booked Roger as a guest, I couldn't wait to meet him. I admire him so deeply for his talent and his dedication to telling Arizona's stories. He's so dedicated to this state, in fact, he was inducted into the Arizona Hall of Fame in 2018. Roger has a long list of accomplishments, but to sum it up, he's found a ton of success as a travel writer with the Arizona Republic, USA Today, and Arizona Highways. And he has a handful of books, and we'll be talking about one of them specifically today. His newest book, Arizona State Parks, A Guide to Amazing Places in the Grand Canyon State. So as I started reading this book, I learned that as Roger entered his 60th year of life, he decided to dedicate 2017 to visiting every Arizona State Park as the park system was also turning 60. I was eager to talk to him about the life lessons he learned during that year and how all that time outside and on the road impacted him. But when we sat down for his interview, I learned that Roger has had something special inside of him since long before he was turning 60 and that he's been very, very brave in his professional life. Roger had a dream that developed inside of him, and he actually made the decision to go chase it. And the older I get, the more I realize that's not something that many people ever actually do. Roger let his passion for the outdoors and his desire to explore this state guide his career and his entire life. So as you learn about the state parks from Roger in this episode, I hope you also learn a little about going after the life you would love to lead. Roger, thank you so much for coming in to chat about your new book and some of your favorite spots. It's absolutely my pleasure. So you are my absolute idol. When (laughs) I think about someone whose career I admire, it really is you at the top of the list. And your ability to capture what you see and what you experience in words is unlike anyone else I've ever witnessed. It really is a true gift. And it is very apparent to anyone who reads your words how much you love the outdoors and how much it has impacted you. Do you remember a specific time, a specific place in your life when you realized you really just loved being outside? Well, I always did as a kid, and then uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, you know, was uh, I was of that generation that, uh, which is unheard of today, where kids just played. You know, you just ran mm-hmm. you know, over the neighborhoods and played down in the creek, and you know, just as long as you were within yelling distance of of dinner, it didn't matter. So, you know, we were free range kids. That didn't. Uh, that's changed a little bit. But I started going uh, very early on. Uh, as soon as I had a driver's license, uh, my little getaway was the Smoky Mountains down in Tennessee, and I would go down and hike and camp. And that's where I really fell in love with the idea of wilderness and being outside, and it was just kind of intriguing to me. So uh, I was kind of primed for all of that, uh, and then I came out to Arizona uh, as a college student and um, fell in love, just fell head over heels in love immediately. I went to Flagstaff at uh, Northern Arizona University for a very brief college career because I fell too much in love with Arizona. I was dean's list the first semester, and by the second semester, I was on academic probation. <laughs> I mean, because by then, I literally discovered I could get up in the morning and walk to class, or I could hitchhike down to the Sedona. Or up to the peaks or out to the Grand Canyon or, you know, it was back in the 70s and and that's what we kind of did. We just uh, – so I just started rambling around Arizona and that was all there was to it. I knew this was where I was going to live. How did you transition into being a travel writer? Were there other jobs along the way, or did it work out right from the beginning? Sure. Uh, well, no. It, it, I knew I was going to be a writer even before I knew I was in love with Arizona. I, I knew I was going to be a writer when I was 13 years old and first read Mark Twain. And I discovered the power of the language. I discovered what it was like to be moved by words. I'd always been a a reader. I'd always loved stories, and I was a voracious reader, and I really enjoyed all that. But Mark Twain was the first one 
Uh, and it wasn't even one of his novels. It was just some of his essays where I thought, wow, he moves me. He makes me feel things. He impacts me just with sentences, just with words. And I knew that was it, that I, that's what I was going to do. Of course, you know, a 14-year-old kid saying, hey, I'm going to be a writer, nobody takes that too seriously and stuff. And, and I understand that. And, and I didn't even know how. I didn't know how you become such a thing. And, you know, I wasn't interested in learning it through college. I, I didn't feel like a novelist. I didn't feel like any of that uh, sort of thing. So I just, was, I just was writing for myself. And um, I took, you know, a, a few different jobs kind of working along the way. And I kind of stumbled into this career of uh, – I used to do landscaping work, and which was seasonal. So in the wintertime, I'd get a part-time job. Um, and one year, I went down and applied for a job as a bartender. I thought that would be fun. And the guy said, well, we're, uh, we're going to move the pinball machines and the pool table out of here, and uh, we're going to start comedy. We're going to start doing comedy. Oh, wow. And uh, we need somebody to host the show. Would you be interested? And I said, sure, why not? So I started hosting comedy shows and then started spending time on stage and eventually became a stand-up comic and toured for a few years and and stuff. And so out of that, all of a sudden, my work was in demand as a humor writer. So I started writing humor for uh, newspapers and magazines around the country. And I did that for many, many, many years. And even when we moved out to Arizona, that's what I did for the first 10 years. I had a syndicated humor column, and I was writing for magazines and newspapers and stuff. But in the meanwhile, I was living such a great life. You know, I'm mm-hmm. rambling all around Arizona, and I'm seeing things. I'm hiking. I'm eating in little diners. And I thought, this is what I want to write about. This is the stuff that's important to me. So I submitted a couple of story ideas to Arizona Highways, and lo and behold, they bought them. So all of a sudden, I'm writing for Arizona Highways. I submitted a story idea to the Arizona Republic. They bought it, and so now I'm writing for the Arizona Republic, and it just went from there. I find that when I'm really passionate about something, the way that you and I both are about the outdoors, I get really nervous about my work surrounding it. So did you feel really nervous when you made that step to submit the work about the outdoors and about your adventures, or did it seem kind of easy for you to do it it felt natural it felt like this is what i'd been preparing for because i'd been writing for years as humor uh, a humorist um it was just a matter of kind of more learning the structure because everything is you know i'm self-taught all the way uh, obviously since i'm a college dropout but um it's different writing for magazines it's different writing for newspapers it's different writing so i just had to teach myself how to do it so I felt comfortable enough going in, but then I just had to be able to kind of pull back on the humor and include the information and learn how to do that. So, uh, yeah, in one sense, I mean, I, even to this day, I kind of still feel like a fraud and stuff. I mean, I, you know, there'll be, uh, you know, I'm, when I'm surrounded by actual journalists and stuff, or and they're talking and they're using terms and I'm going, I don't even know what they're talking about and stuff, you know. I just like to tell my little stories. Hey, listen, I went to journalism school. I have the degree. <laughs> I've been in journalism for more than 10 years and I'm still more impressed by you than anyone else now in your book arizona state parks which i'm reading now and i'm really really enjoying you talk about the year that you turned 60 going and exploring the arizona state parks on that journey what would you say you learned about yourself well, I learned uh, I was turning 60 at the same year that the Arizona State Parks were t- turning 60 back in 2017. So I learned that the parks are aging better than I am. <laughs> they're, they're holding up a lot better than me. But um, I learned just how, again, just uh, how important the the parks are to communities and to the small towns and how much that lifestyle means to me. Um, you know, I live in Cottonwood. Uh, my wife and I have been living in Cottonwood for 25 years, and uh, it got to again. I got to again see why that is so important to me to have not just that small town life, not just that pace, but to have that access. What what uh, my local park, Dead Horse Ranch State Park, provides for me is that instant access to backcountry. Is that instant access to Nature. I mean, literally 10 minutes from my house and I'm on a trail 
heading into the hills, you know, uh, uh, startling deer and, and, and seeing coyotes, or I'm hiking around the lagoons and, and uh, in the shade and, and watching bald eagles uh, perched up on the tree and uh, seeing the herons dive into the water. And, you know, so th- that, it, it again re- made me feel very good about the choices I've made in life, that I know that... Um, this is what we should. This is what we all need to be spending time doing. This is what um, defines me as a person. My, you know, I, I two things. If you know anything about me, I'm a writer and I'm a hiker. That's it. That's essentially all that you need to know about me. And the fact that I can combine those two things, and uh, it's the hiking that keeps me in balance. It's the hiking that fuels the creativity, the being able to step away from the computer and and all that and. To see the other parks and uh, see what they meant to the communities and how different they are and, and the experience that they provide was all, you know, just really eye-opening. Hiking is also my favorite way to enjoy the outdoors. It's my healer. It's my therapist. <laughs> it is exactly. my greatest source of joy. What is it about hiking that makes it so special to you? Why is that your favorite way to enjoy the outdoors? Well, it's uh, because you meet it on very intimate terms. You meet nature on those terms. You're moving low and slow and quiet. So you have a chance to experience everything. You get to listen to the sounds. Uh, You get to listen. You get to see wildlife. You get to see all that. And, you know, certainly I have a lot of friends who are mountain bikers and, you know, bless their hearts. I think they're idiots. But, you know, (laughs) it's their choice. So that's perfectly fine. But, you know, they're roaring through things. And I'm going, how much do you really see? You know, you're just watching to make sure you don't crash. They're adrenaline. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's the adrenaline. Whereas with a hiker, it's just, you know, I'm there for the peace and quiet. Um, getting great exercise, you know, uh, walking is uh, one absolutely, I think, that about the best exercise we can get as human beings. Um, walking has been controlled, fall, uh, described as controlled falling. For me, it's controlled falling in love. You know, it's just I'm happy when I'm walking. I, I'm breathing. I'm, uh, I'm relaxing. Um, and again, I just like being that quiet and part of this nature as opposed to just kind of roaring through it or uh, if you're if you're off-roading or something again you know that's that's your choice but I, I don't know how much you're seeing or actually experiencing yeah as stuff. much as I love off-roading feeling my feet on the ground and taking one step at a time and right. yeah taking in the time to just look around you and have kind of an appreciation for the leaves rustling in the wind and the birds flying by. It really is a much different experience. And to me, it's a transformative experience and it always just calms me. And I find that every time I go outside, whatever it was that I was hoping to find, I find that and more. And I want to read a part of your book from your part on Slide Rock State Park, where you say, This place fills me with hope. It restores a little of my faith in mankind. And that's not an easy thing to do. And I know that every single day, it seems like at least one one point in my day, whether it's somebody being a jerk in traffic or something that I see in a news headline, I start to lose my faith in mankind. And it seems to always be restored when I'm outside. What do you find outside that makes you feel better about mankind? And and I love that you're talking about in this particular part about the kids playing and what you're seeing from other people. What do you experience? Well, I think outdoors brings out the best in all of us. You know, I know I'm in a better mood. I'm I'm happier. I'm. Um, calmer when I'm outside, and I think that's true with just about anyone. And um, and most, if you're meeting someone on the trail, uh, usually they're there for the same reason you are, and you know you kind of share that little bit of a bond. And uh, 
So yeah, when I, it, you know, I, I don't have, my wife and I don't have any kids. So, uh, I'm, you know, kind of a crotchety old curmudgeon. I don't really <laughs> care about kids, but it makes me happy to see them out on the trail. It makes me happy to see them splashing in the creek or, uh, uh, playing a game or, you know, picking up sticks or doing any of the things that I feel like kids should be doing instead yeah. of glued to a, a screen or, or on a phone because, you know, uh, old curmudgeons like me aren't going to be around forever. And then who's going to take care of the parks? Who's right. going to worry about the trails? Who's going to be building this? So I like seeing the young people make that connection with nature. And it, it, it fills me with hope when I see that the parents are, you know, encouraging that, that they're bringing them there, even though, you know, I'm sure it's kind of a pain sometimes to lug kids and everything you have to lug with the kid on the trail and stuff, but to still to take them out and teach them about it. That's, uh, that's very encouraging. And you're so right. I mean, it really is going to make the world a better place to have kids who appreciate what the outdoors has to offer them. Another thing that I love in your writing is you are really vulnerable in your writing and you kind of talk about the things that you're discovering along the way. Um, for, for those of you who haven't read the book yet, you're talking about River Island State Park here. And you said, I'm an idiot. River Island just proves it. And then there's another spot um, over here in Boyce Thompson when you're talking about the Arboretum where you kind of talk about things that you're discovering along the way. What do you like about that? It's kind of humbling in a way, right? What do you like sure, about those discoveries? Sure. Well, River Island, the reason I, I, I say that is because uh, I used to drive past it because, uh, um, you know, as a hiker, uh, you know, I mean, Buckskin Mountain State Park is just like a mile and a half away and Cattail Cove State Park is just a little further up the road. Both of those have a really nice network of hiking trails and River Island only has one trail and it's only a half mile long. So I just kind of gone past it a few times going, ah, it's not worth my time. And I finally obviously made a, a point to stop uh, several years ago. And holy cow, that half mile trail is one of the most beautiful in the park system. It's absolutely stunning. It's the Wedge Hill Trail and it just goes up this mountain slope overlooking the river and it's spectacular. It's gorgeous. It's, you know, so I thought, well, you know, see again, yeah. just because a oh, half mile trail, that's barely worth my time, right. you know, and uh, so I so taught that lesson. Thing. So again, so now I, I make a point to stop every time and, and enjoy and savor that little half mile trail for those spectacular or stunning views. And um, yeah, I, you know, I like learning stuff about that. I'm, you know, I'm never cocky enough to think, uh, you know, I'm some kind of know-it-all. So anytime I'm out in nature, I'm always learning something new or discovering something new or seeing something. And that's, uh, you know, it's nice to know that I still have that capacity to learn. And, um, you know, so and nature is such a great classroom. I think there's got to be like a metaphor for life somewhere in here where so often I have found that I get, I don't know, interested in some new trail or some new lake perhaps that I discover. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so close to that this time that I hiked this or this time that I drove there. And so often we're so close to these amazing discoveries, but we don't quite go the full distance or we don't quite just know our surroundings. And that's why your book is such a valuable resource I and mean, is valuable for many reasons, but also just so that people really can make the most of their time and make the most of their adventure when they are heading out because you're really breaking it down. Like, here's what you're going to find here and here's what you don't want to miss. And that is so valuable, especially when you only have a day or a weekend to have that kind of help. Well, then that's with each chapter, I include all the information about the park, but I also include uh, events that happen at the park, events that happen in the town. I include some uh, information about the communities themselves, and I include nearby attractions because if you're going to the park, then, uh, you know, you want to find out what else is around, mm -hmm. you know, make a whole experience of it. Um, you know, we're known for the Grand Canyon, obviously, but it's the state parks that define our scenic diversity and rich history. I mean, you find everything in the state parks from tall cactus desert to craggy mountains to red rock canyons to rolling grasslands to a playground of rivers and lakes. And every chapter of Arizona history is preserved in the state parks from Native American culture to uh, Spanish colonial times to the Civil War to the ranching mining boom to the Wild West. It's all there. And then, of course, the recreational uh, 
opportunities are just endless. This is some of the best hiking, fishing, uh, swimming, uh, uh, stargazing, camping, uh, wildlife viewing, and wildflower chasing in Arizona. It's right here in the parks. And, and this is our turf. You know, people travel from all over the world to see the Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, some of our high-profile destinations. But it's these little parks, these little bite-sized family-friendly adventures that are right on our doorstep that that belong to us because not many people come from all over the world to visit Roper Lake or Reardon Mansion or Tonto Natural Bridge. You know, this is our turf. So I want people to appreciate and understand what's in their backyard, what's available, what's so close to home. So. So I'm 31 years old now, and I grew up here. I've spent my entire life in Arizona, and I didn't know that most of these places existed. I didn't know what was available to me. And so exactly like you're saying, you you want people to know. That's my passion as well. But when I was starting hiking, when I was like 20, I was hiking Camelback and Piestua simply for exercise. I was an NHL cheerleader. I just wanted to stay in shape. That was an easy way to do, to do that. I never felt that connection until probably about 25 when life threw some really difficult things at me. So with age for me, the outdoors experience has just changed so much from year to year. My my interests have changed. I'm more interested in not just hiking, but also rock climbing and bird watching and stargazing now. So how would you say for you, your outdoors experience has changed with age. Well, I'm still. I haven't gotten as quite as diversified as you. I still tend to be mostly just a hiker, but I've certainly slowed down a little bit. Uh, I still. It's important for me to rack up uh, a lot of miles every year. I'm. I'm only happy if I'm hiking a lot of miles each week, day in and day out. You know, I'm not. I used to do more backpacking and longer term hikes and stuff, and now I'm more of a day hiker. I'm more of a boots and burgers guy, where I like to go out and hike for several miles, and I'm pretty happy to stop and grab. A, a burger on the way home and be back in time to sleep for my own bed. But uh, as far as my appreciation has deepened tremendously, you know, I, I pay much more attention to the details now. Um, and I like those small victories. I, I, I am, you know, more aware of the birds, more aware of the wildlife, more aware of tracks, more aware of uh, insects moving beneath my feet. Uh, uh, you know, I greet just about every lizard I meet on the trail. <laughs> I, uh, um, I, I love all the little uh, sounds, you know. I mean, every time I hear the uh, – when you hear – a bird flying overhead and you can hear the wind going through his feather when you know you're in a place so quiet that you can hear that or you're walking around the, uh, along the river around the lagoon or something and you hear a leaf actually land on the surface of the water because it fell and stuff when you're in those kind of places where the silence is that rich and deep that to me is just that makes me so happy you know and it's such a simple thing but to know that it those places still exist, um, especially as the pace of our life changes and and you know things do seem out of control around us. For some reason, I feel much more in control when I'm away from it, when I'm in the backcountry and stuff. And Me too. I focus on that. It's funny because people talk so much about safety concerns in the outdoors, and for me. I feel so much safer in the middle of nowhere. I'm not afraid of the animals. I'm prepared, you know, yeah. but I'm, I never feel afraid when I'm outdoors. I feel more afraid when I'm in traffic or when I'm walking through the parking lot of Target, right, right. something like that. You know, I really do feel so safe outside. Can you think of a specific time in your life when you were going through something really difficult and you really felt like, what would I do without nature? Um, yeah, there, uh, I don't know that, you know, I, I had any specific, uh, you know, hard trauma or anything really difficult. But um, as much as I love my job and, and what I do, uh, a big part of that is th there's a lot of stress with that because 
Um, for me to be successful as a freelance writer, it means that I have to generate every bit of work that I have. Um, so there's always those stress levels. I always say that you know if I've only got if I've got a uh, 13 deadlines in in front of me that you know it's I, I'm I'm at the end of my rope. I'll never be able to yeah, make it. That's scary. But if I, if I've only got a if I've only got a dozen, then we're going to starve to death. You know, it's there's never any quite. Um, I can never quite get it right. Uh, so I'm always got these plates in my air in the air. I've got unfinished projects. So I'm always kind of battling with that stress. Mm-hmm. I've always got deadlines. You know, this article's due this week. Uh, this book is due. I've got to reread this. I've got to send out press releases. I've got this interview coming up. I've got, you know, it's just all that, and that's where the outdoor saves me. You know, because if I'm sitting at home in front of my computer all the time, that's when that it just creeps up on you. That stress just surrounds you and and begins to throttle Mm -hmm. you. And the only way for me to escape that is I head down to Dead Horse Ranch and I'm hiking in quiet and listening to leaves falling and chatting with the lizards and and, uh, looking for wildflowers and all that. So nature always saves me. It saves me every day. You know, that's that's how I keep that balance. That's, you know, because almost every day I'm out in it. And if I go two or three days without hiking, I can tell. Oh, you know, yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm tensed <laughs> up. You know, I'm starting to get like, oh, you know. So, yeah, I have to go and that's where I breathe. I love that you said that because one of the things that I'm always preaching on this podcast and on my blog and on my Instagram posts is just a reminder that nature is available to you all the time. Even if it's a 15-minute walk, even if you have your coffee on the patio listening to the birds, even if it's just, you know, taking five minutes to sit on a bench in the park on your lunch break. It doesn't matter if you find just a little bit of time to feel the breeze and feel the sunshine and just absorb that it's going to do wonders for your mood and your whole day can be fixed by simply an interaction with a bird or noticing some changing leaves. It's amazing to me. And I really feel like anyone who doesn't realize that is missing out. Very much so. And especially again, because, you know, so much of our life is artificial. You know, we're so devoted to our phones and with our computers and and, uh, television and screens. And, you know, we're we tend to be especially, you know, uh, in Arizona where temperatures can be hot people tend to cocoon themselves Mm -hmm. and you know convince themselves well it's too hot to be outside or something and well yeah it it, maybe it is too hot to go for a 10 mile hike and stuff but you can still go sit in the shade for a little while you can Mm -hmm. still you know uh you know walk down and get an ice cream cone yeah still you know there's some yeah do yeah do (laughs) you know i mean you still can't uh, so uh, yeah if you can get out and the more you're connected with it uh, the better you will be because, again, that kind of brings you back to reality. That mm-hmm. shows you the the path forward. It's very grounding. So one of the things that I do is sometimes I just go and I, I touch a tree if I feel really stressed yeah. out just or like touch a leaf or take my shoes off and just put my bare feet on the ground. Just different things like that really bring me back into what I call alignment so that I I feel refocused and I, it helps with the stress. And it kind of just reminds you that – no matter what you're feeling, if you have negative emotions and negative feelings, there is that grounding effect that nature can have on you that can really just bring everything back into focus for you. And I know that you love Dead Horse Ranch State Park. The one that you've mentioned is right by your house. It's my own personal park. I'm very generous about letting other people <laughs> use it. We appreciate but, that, yeah, Roger. <laughs> but it, is, it belongs to me, essentially. So yeah. <laughs> we previously had Neil Large from Arizona oh, State Parks come on, Neil. and he was absolutely raving about the same park and and I have to admit, I've never been there, but it seems so magical. It has it has come to the top of my bucket list at this point. What is so special about it to you in addition to the proximity? Yeah, well, I loved it even before we'd moved there. I'd visited it several times before we'd uh, moved to Cottonwood and stuff because it, I think it flies under the radar a little bit because uh, of the name. It's not that – it doesn't really grab it you. It is an odd but name, it's kind and of I think a it cool... turns some people off, unfortunately. Yeah, but, but we got to get past that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's part of the legacy. It was an old family ranch, and uh, that's what it was named because uh, when they were looking for ranches, the family, uh, uh, the dad 
had asked, well, kids, which ranch did you like? And they'd seen one. They'd seen a dead horse out in the field. And they said, the one with a dead horse. So go. it became Dead Horse Ranch State Park. And when the family sold uh, two state parks, they made keeping the name part of the deal. So it's Dead Horse Ranch State Park. But it's the most family-friendly. It, it's the absolute best uh, adventures, uh, several hundred acres in the, these limestone hills above the Verde River. So it protects a stretch of the endangered Verde River and the, the cottonwood uh, uh, groves along it, cottonwood and willows. It has three uh, beautiful lagoons that are stocked with fish so anglers love it and and people uh in wheelchairs with strollers you can go around these uh ada uh, paths uh a crushed granite you've got a, a reed lined marsh uh Tavashi marsh back down a one mile trail at the edge of a mesquite bosque how many marshes are there in arizona not many so we have a ton of uh, attracts a ton of birds uh, a lot of wildlife uh, over 20 miles of hiking trails in the, uh, the the park itself and that go out of the park that leave the park and connect oh, cool. with national forest i can walk i can start out and i've done this a few times uh go down and park at dead horse ranch state park and start walking on the lime kiln trail and go all the way to sedona on that trail it's a 15 wow. mile old historic wagon road and I, so my wife cool. picked me up and we go have lunch and and uh, <laughs> she drives perfect. me back it's you know it's just this great day of you know just hiking from one town to the next and stuff and that's uh they also they offer horseback rides if you want to go for a horseback ride uh, they've got a concessionaire there so you know for uh, if you want to swim in the creek if you want to splash in the creek you can if you want to put your kayak in the lagoons you can um have got a couple of different campgrounds they've got some cabins heated and air-conditioned oh, cabins. It's down nice. a little shady lane, so if you want to, uh, uh, you want to uh, camp, but you want you like it a little nicer, those are perfect and stuff. So it's basically kind of got everything that you might need in a, a state park experience. And with all that water, there are some unique birds that you're oh, yeah, going to yeah. see everywhere in Arizona. They have tell a, me about that blue heron. Oh. Well, I'm feuding with one. There's <laughs> this one heron. Because uh, during the summer, when it is hotter in Cottonwood, the logical thing for me to do would be to hike in the morning. But Logic and I are barely on speaking terms. Uh, I, I like my work routine. I, I write in the morning, and then I finish up in the afternoon. So I go for my hike yeah, in the heat I mean, of the who day. who wants to let the yeah. weather interfere <laughs> yeah. with that routine? So I, I go for my hike, and it's hot. But that's one of the advantages, again, of Dead Horse. I can hike down by the river or around the lagoons, and I'm hiking in shade for the most part i'm getting a little breeze Perfect. off the water it's 100 degrees but i'm very comfortable it's nice unfortunately there's this one heron that likes to hunt at that time of day so he is mm -hmm. there every single day when i show up and i hear i come marching around the lagoons and even though i tell him look i'm not going to bother you i'm not going <laughs> to tackle you stay put no he has to unfold and go flapping off and herons have this way of expressing their they displeasure they do they have this sort of croaking squawk that lets you know they're very unhappy and i think it's kind of a big deal for them because you know they're not these little birds they're they're gangly they're lanky they're all legs and neck and beak, and it takes them a while to unfold on these pterodactyl wings. And he goes flying out across the water and then circles back and lands on the path just a little oh, further again. So 10 seconds later, here, here I come again. And well, he's got to do it. <laughs> so we repeat this sometimes three or four times. And then finally he gets tired of it and he flies off to the river or lands out on the island. Sometimes he just perches on a submerged log in the lagoon and just glares at me. Yeah. I can imagine him in this foghorn, leghorn voice going, well, of course, you know, this means war. Probably. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what he would say so, to you if yeah, he could. I keep thinking that one morning I'm going to open up my blinds and there'll be all these herons <laughs> on my porch just peering in on me. You. Yeah, like some kind of Alfred Hitchcock movie, except worse, because think of all the heron crap. I've got to hose off the porch oh, now. Oh, no kidding. And stuff. So I, I, I mention this only because if something happens to me, if I don't come back from a hike and you find me floating mm -hmm. face down in the lagoon with beak marks on my head and neck, 
it was no accident. Arrest the damn hair. We absolutely Thanks. know who it was. Have you given him a name? <laughs> no, no. I, I call him a gangly idiot a lot. Uh, but uh, which, but other than that, I'll I, just I, tell I the Rangers no it was that gangly <laughs> yeah. idiot. They'll know he's, exactly. He's there, he's there every afternoon, just like me. So they'll definitely you know. know who it was. Okay, so when I asked you about your favorites, that was that was your your top, and um, I told you. When you give me a list of your favorites, that it can, you know, be your favorites right now because right. I understand it how change. this is. Yeah, it, you know, it changes it because does. you just fall in love with different parts of the state depending on the time of year sure. and the different experiences you want. But Catalina right. State Park, tell us about what you find there that's so enchanting. Well, it, it, it's sort of the very best of Arizona. It's this great combination of Sonoran Desert. Uh, topped by the uh, soaring mountains. So it gives you a little taste of uh, both worlds, which is what makes Arizona so special. You know, if you if you don't like the season you're having in Arizona, there's another one just up the road, <laughs> you know. I mean, so that's what's so cool. But uh, Arizona, the Catalina State Park stretches along the base of the Santa Catalina Mountains north of Tucson, Mount Lemmon just right there above. So, again, uh, it's a great hiking uh, park. They're just beautiful trails uh, stretching out all over the place. They've got a couple of big washes that flow seasonally. So sometimes you have water um, and sometimes you don't, but it's you can hike up into the mountains if you want. Uh, you can just hike along through the desert. Uh, whatever experience that you want, they've uh, started releasing. Uh, they started a population of a big desert bighorn there, oh, and they've been showing cool. up in the park itself. So you can actually see desert bighorn there. Wow. in the park which is you know a pretty amazing little gift i um, love that so it's just a really beautiful park with this great skyline and also they have a, a wonderful wildflower displays every spring uh, assuming you get some rain this year they had they were spectacular they were stunning it was such a great yeah, wildflower season it was fantastic and i actually went to the next park that we want to talk about picacho peak to go see the wildflowers and i did that insane hike i absolutely love Picacho Peak State Park. It is so cool. It just feels like you are in the middle of nowhere, yet you're right off of I-10. Right, right. Yeah, people, you drive by it all the time. You see this very distinctive standalone mountain kind of, uh, and uh, uh, it, it starts, it's an amazing history, a slice of history. This was the westernmost battle of the Civil War there. They've got a whole uh, uh, interpretive trail there that tells you the story if you want to learn more about it in the park. Um, and if you want to, if you're a, a young, tough person like yourself, and I did this when I was a kid, uh, hike to the very top. It is one of the, I think it's certainly the hardest hike in Arizona State Parks. I you know, think you're, so too. You're pulling yourself up mm-hmm. on steel cables. You're, you should better take gloves with you to reach the top. It, it's a pretty grueling hike, but you know it's certainly worth yeah, doing. Yeah, it is. It can be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the biggest debate between me and other hikers would be if that or flat iron oh, is the most yeah, difficult yeah, in I the guess, Arizona State Parks. But yeah. I actually think that Picacho Peak is more difficult. Yeah. I felt like it was more mentally taxing for me. There were a couple of moments where I felt a little bit nervous, but yeah. you know, I I made it safely. Me and my friends, Good. and it, it was. So awesome because we went when the wildflowers were blooming. Yeah. And what was so cool, and this is what I love about exploring new spots and trying new things, is I had a very unexpected discovery. When I thought about going to see wildflowers, I was thinking about, you know, seeing them up close. And we got to the top of, we had kind of like come out of the backside of the mountain that's right up against the tent. So we got around to where we could see the other side, the the west side uh-huh. of the mountain, and there was so much color. There was oh, yeah. just, you know, you're seeing, it's like carpet laid yeah. over the desert of right. purple and orange. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about the aerial view right. of the yeah, wildflowers. Picacho was, was spectacular yes, this year. It was enchanting. I, I couldn't yeah. believe my eyes. And, it, you know, it kind of took my mind off the fact that I was on this terrifying <laughs> <laughs> And And then you were also seeing, because across the road, they just had those, they had fields of glow, mallow 
and uh, uh, lupins and uh, alcoves. So you were seeing the whole picture. It was so, that so was, cool. Yeah. But to, for me, I just I because you, you don't have to go do the hard hike to right. see the wildflowers. Most of the wildflowers are down on the slope. So when I was talking to them, you know, we had such a wet spring. I knew it was going to be great. So I was checking around at Arizona State Parks, and and she said, "Drop everything, go to Picacho right now." And I did. I told my wife, "I'm I'm heading to Tucson we're going tomorrow." Here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, and I was down. Down there the next day, uh, February 28th, and it was just, you know, spectacular. And, and for me, again, from as an Ohio boy, um, any day I can spend in January and February in shorts and T-shirt surrounded by wildflowers, I declare as a personal victory. Absolutely. Re- revenge is a dish best served balmy. <laughs> you know, I, I love the idea. You know, I mean, it's snowing every place else in the state, and I'm just sitting there with yep. wild, hanging out with the wildflowers. And I love the, the poppy. So Boccaccio is consistently the best wildflower park uh, in the, the state park system and one of probably the two or three top wildflower spots in the whole state. I was so, I felt so lucky that I yeah. got to experience it this last spring. It was yeah. so incredible. So absolutely, I'll be making that a tradition every single spring. Yeah. Although the spring that we had this year was so spectacular yeah. that now the bar is set very very high. <laughs> yeah, we, th- these don't come along very often, and and uh, yeah, because we've had some some rough years. But uh, if it if there's going to be a good uh, year, it, it's usually Picacho is one of them. But it can be it can be spotty. But yeah, this was a year. I think I was at Picacho three different times in March. I was just you know every yeah, I was every chance all you the get. Time. Yeah. Okay, this next one, people who like the spooky stuff are going to love this. Yuma Territorial Prison State Historic Park. What is it about this that you as a hiker have fallen in love with because this wasn't one that I expected to see on here for your favorites. Well, and this isn't, uh, there's no hiking trails. Uh, This is strictly a historic thing because I I am very much a history buff and I just, this was one of the places, even when I didn't like Yuma for a lot of years, you know, I really (laughs) was opposed to Yuma because they they didn't take care of their river. They, uh, you know, it was just kind of junky and trashy and I'm happy to report that, you know, they've completely revitalized the, the riverfront. It's spectacular now it's one of my favorite places to go but even during the lean times i loved going to this uh the old territorial prison just because it's such an incredible story so much history it was the most notorious hooskow in in uh, territorial times and i always like being around any prison that i'm not in it just sort of <laughs> it sort of validates my choices it makes yeah. me feel better about myself yeah okay. you know when you can't <laughs> sleep at night and you're thinking oh my gosh i regret doing that thing 10 years ago you can just tell yourself at least i didn't end up here <laughs> exactly so but you you get to walk through the old the original cell blocks that were built by the prisoners yourself you can go into the little cell where you know six guys were in this tiny little thing you you walk into the 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 infamous snake den which is the dark Ooh. cell where they used to chain them in there and the stuff and it just yeah and it's just yeah. real great well the the <laughs> legends were that the guards would drop snakes and stuff and i there's no i don't think there's any truth to that but i think that's you know one of the stories that they probably you know just like at your school the principal's got a swatting machine right. or something you know there's always some yeah. you know terrifying uh, urban legend there but um but it's just you know a remarkable history that still there that's still preserved and you know for for uh, people who like this kind of thing for you know what a great halloween experience uh this was voted the most haunted place in america um just last month by a usa today reader poll and stuff do you think it's haunted uh i would uh, if there's a place that's going to be haunted this is going to be it i would think 111 prisoners died while they were there Uh, 104 of them still rest in the graveyard right outside the uh the park so uh um, I would not be surprised if it is. I suddenly but. have chills. So <laughs> I, I think I need to go check yeah. that out. But there's such great exhibits inside. You go in and you, you, there's some beautiful lace, uh, just all this really gorgeous, delicate lace. And then you're reading, oh, you know, it was made.
made by this murderer that was in there for a long time. Oh, and my then, gosh. You know, and all these other, you know, weapons that were confiscated and, you know, different things. And, uh, you know, just uh, it, it was it's a really interesting story. Uh, on one hand, uh, the, the people of Yuma called it a country club. It's the country club <laughs> on the Colorado because they had a library. They actually had a library. They had uh, running water, which was you know, very unusual at the time. They had a couple things that, you know, a lot Some of homes in uh, Yuma didn't have. But then, you know, the prisoners considered it a hellhole because of all, you know, this the bad stuff that was really going on there and stuff. So, you know, it's just uh, a really interesting look back at that, you know, the rough territorial times. And, uh, you know, they held many famous prisoners there, including uh, Pearl Hart, who, you know, was the, one of the robbed one of the last stage coaches. Um, uh, in Arizona and became a little bit of a celebrity there, especially as a female uh, stagecoach robber and stuff. So Wow, there's so much to learn. Yeah, so it's, you know, for for folks that like a little bit of history, it's a really educational park. Very yeah, fun. That sounds and really then cool. when you, then you're in Yuma and you get to do, eat all, all these great restaurants. And, and What's your uh, favorite restaurant in Yuma? Uh, Mr. G's or uh, Chili Pepper. They're both uh, the same family and stuff. My favorite okay. uh, bean and rice burrito. Yum. Oh, okay, good. No, see, because oh people gosh. say there's nothing good in Yuma. Oh, there, there is. There's a ton of stuff. And now they're doing, you know, that's one of the things that I loved about Yuma. They converted their their uh, riverfront was all trashy and all junky, and they got rid of all that, cleaned up. It's beautiful parks, beautiful swimming beaches now. Uh, they've replanted thousands of cottonwood trees and willows. Uh, so it's uh, back to native habitat. They have pathways and biking trails and have connected all these parks. They've revitalized the downtown. And they started doing all these tours of uh, uh, agricultural tours. Oh, so you can cool. go out into the fields and see where your food is grown. You can pick some and have lunch from it, uh, made from it some uh, later on. Some table so, yeah, action. Exactly. See, I think that there can all this be kind of stuff. things to love and experiences to enjoy in every single place on this planet if you it, look hard enough. Exactly. So, I love that you were able to give us so much more insight about Yuma because not everybody is a believer that there is stuff to do there. All right. Uh, Cattail Cove State Park. So Arizona's West Coast, right along the Colorado River. I have never been here, but after reading some more portions of your book about Arizona's West Coast, I really feel like I am missing out on a lot. Exactly. And and this was something that I sort of came to later on, you know, because I was more, uh, you know, hiking down south and hiking in the desert and hiking in the canyons. And this was sort of the last part of Arizona that I really started spending more time at and stuff. But now I really love it, especially this time of year uh, when all the uh, summer boaters have gone, the snowbirds aren't there, the parks are just kind of deserting. It's just beautiful because it's, again— this combination of desert and water, and that's always magic. That's yeah, always magic. So cool. And so you can go there and you can hike. You're hiking in these desert trails, but then you, you're looking out across this expanse of sparkling blue water. It's just amazing. And then if you want, you go sit on the beach. You, you know, they got the, each park has these little swimming beaches and white sandy beaches with palm trees and there's seagulls circling. You're like, and wait, then, am yeah, I still in yeah, Arizona? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you get there, you know, you're having that kind of experience. So that's one of my favorite uh, trips in October and November to just bounce up the West Coast, go from uh, Buckskin Mountain. Well, I start, I start in Yuma, do the parks there, and then head up to Buckskin Mountain, uh, River Island, Cattail Cove. It just has the best uh, hiking trails, I think. And then end up in Lake Havasu. And, you know, uh, you're there seeing on that white sandy beach watching an incredible sunset. And then you head into town, have a couple of cold wow. beers and you know, what a what a great road trip. You just planned a really nice trip for me. And there's a brewery <laughs> up there, too. Um, there's a which, couple of them, yeah. Which is the one Co- that I'm thinking of? Is well, there's Mud College, Shark? there's Mud Shark, there's College, uh, the College Brewery. Yes, they have the Big Blue Van beer, mm-hmm. which is delicious. If you've uh, never tried Big Blue one. Van, okay. it is from Lake Havasu, from College. Uh-huh. And it is so Yummy. It is blueberry and vanilla. That, those are the oh. flavors you're going to pick up on in that. Uh. But yeah, then the Mud Shark has that orange, I think it's a Hefeweizen. We need to do a whole episode just on, <laughs> okay. on the beer that can be consumed from Barley Arizona. Barley Brothers, I think, is another one in okay. Lake Havasu. So yeah, yeah that's perfect. especially if you like a beer, Lake Havasu is a good place to end up. Absolutely. So much to mm-hmm. enjoy in Lake Havasu. 
Can you imagine what your life would even be like if it weren't for a love of the outdoors? No, I really can't. I, I have no idea. And, and you know, I give talks a lot. I, I, I go around the state and, you know, I talk about my books and give presentations. And uh, so I encounter a lot of people and even people who enjoy the books and stuff. And every time, you know, there's always these people, well, wow, I've never been there. I've never been here. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I've never been. To, and, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being polite and I'm smiling and nodding and encouraging them to go. But I'm, you know, kind of mentally slapping my face going, What's wrong with you? You know, we live in the most beautiful state in the union. Get out and see it. Go explore every corner of it. You know, this is, uh, it's all gorgeous. It's all astonishing, the things that are at our uh, fingertips here, you know. I mean, we're the only state where you can hike into one of the seven natural wonders of the world. And not far from the Grand Canyon, you can be hiking an alpine tundra, for crying out loud, up on the top of Humphreys Peak. Uh, you know, we are one of the, the only places where, you know, you can we have those el- seasons that change with elevation. So you can be in the mountains, you can be in the desert, you can experience whatever you want. It's, it's all our option. And, and for people who not, don't follow that path, you know, I understand, you know, if you're not an avid hiker, that's fine. But, yeah, get, hop in your car, go out and take the drives, if nothing else. Get out and see all this, explore all this. People say to me all the time when they see my pictures on social media, you're so lucky you get to do that. And I very often say, well, you get to do that, too. Yeah, And people will say they don't have the time. And that is so frustrating to me because... If there is one way you should be spending your time, in my opinion, it's it's in these places. And Roger, you have another book that um, I'm very, very excited to read, Boots and Burgers. So again, we're going to have to have you back a lot of different times because we have so I'm much happy to cover. To do so. Where is, if you had to pick one burger for the rest of your life that came from an Arizona oh, restaurant. Oh goodness. I'll give you three. Okay. Uh, the Chuck Box in Tempe, Lion's Den in uh, Pine Top, and uh, Haunted Hamburger in Jerome. Chuck Box in Tempe coming in on that top of the top list. Wow. I, I, am I, I love impressed. that. One. I love that burger. The closest hike would be A Mountain. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, they're all featured. All those are featured in there, but with uh, nearby hikes, uh, reasonably nearby. You know, some of them are, you know, because I want you to travel, I want you to explore. So you got to earn the yeah, burger, yeah, right? Exactly. So. Well, Roger, yeah. thank you so much. Everybody needs to go get Arizona State Parks ASAP because it is a wonderful, wonderful resource. It's so empowering. So I hope everyone gets it. And I, I think that it truly has the ability to just give people this pass to say, hey, I could do that. I could go on that hike. I could take that fishing trip. You really are empowering people, and I really appreciate you writing this. Well, thank you. It was absolutely my pleasure. It was a labor of love, this book. And if you go to my website, rogernaylor.com, I have a, an events page where I list all my appearances where I'm traveling around the state, giving talks, giving presentations. You know, uh, if you live in Arizona, you're bound to bump into me somewhere. I'm underfoot all the time. So come out, and, and uh, we'll swap some Arizona tales. Awesome. We can't wait to have you back already. Thanks. Don't you guys love Roger? We're definitely going to have to bring him back to talk more about those burgers. And as Roger mentioned, you can head to his website, rogernaylor.com, to purchase his books, check out his upcoming events, and find some links to his articles. I also highly recommend following him on Twitter for a quick dose of the outdoors when you're stuck inside. As I look back to how Roger's career started, I think about what our state would be missing if he had never decided to submit those first travel pieces. I think of how boring my Twitter feed would be without his desert anecdotes. I think about how lucky we are to have this talented Arizona advocate helping us see every mile of beauty and experience every minute of adventure the place we call home has to offer. Now I ask you, could you be more brave? Could you let your passion guide your career and lead your life in a new direction? Maybe it's writing like Roger. Maybe it's cooking or singing, designing a product or opening a business. Whatever it is you're keeping to yourself, we all hope you'll share it. We want what you've got. Thank you for being here with her. I'm Kristen Keogh. You can find me on social media at Kristen Keogh. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-K-E-O-G-H. Thank you to my awesome executive producer, Jeremy Isaac, and the Social Television Network for making this podcast possible. We will catch you next time.